This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. If you're greedy like I am, you want to get your hands on all that great AMI content that's out there, folks. So AMI's new streaming service has officially launched. We've talked about it here on the program. AMI is fully compatible with assistive technology, including screen readers and magnifiers, Windows, Apple, and uh, Android platforms all covered here. And, of course, the device is thrown in there as well. Check it out. Visit amiplus.ca right now. Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan. And let's get to our Friday app update. This is our usual time when we check in with John Beeler and get all our tech news. Let's go. Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Ramya where I share the latest app, mobile and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security. We'll cover the gamut. John, let's start with OpenAI, um, because although we talk about ChatGPT often on the show or some kind of AI-related scenario, there's now these custom ChatGPTs, plural, for personal use and sharing. So how are they, uh, I mean, it seems like the way to go, but how are they doing this? Um, this is a really interesting announcement that came this week as part of the uh, Open AI Dev Days. This is for developers to sort of get a first look at some of the new features that are coming. And Dev Days. Uh, like what that. I've seen uh, on the internet from people that were in attendance is that basically this makes what we saw a year ago when they launched ChatGPT feel like nothing we've seen before uh, just in a single year of advancements. And what they're doing with these GPTs is they're harnessing the power of uh, the full uh, ChatGPT interface, the 4.0, the latest edition, uh, the full spectrum of the internet. And then you have the ability to create your own custom version of that. And what that means is that, for example, say you want to uh, create a tool to replace me and what you would do is you would upload all of the blog posts and and articles i've ever written about technology into chat gpt create the john gpt and essentially you can have a conversation with me through chat gpt knowing my writing and uh sort of vocal styles it knows all oh. of the things i've about and it also has the benefit of the full internet behind it as well so you can ask me about new technology for example that doesn't even exist yet because if it's on the internet it's part of that thing and it chat gpt will then sort of use that information to generate responses to you and it's a much more natural language uh facility now than even before so hold up mm. it'll talk like you it'll act like you based on the samples that we upload do we have to upload it or can we just be like go look for john beeler and upload every like his identity through whatever you can find or do we well, have to I take the responsibility the intent is that you wouldn't copy a person this way this was mm. just a simple 
quite example. Okay. Uh, one of the examples that uh, the, the the person that created uh, Chat GPT and OpenAI in general, Sam Altman, he said he gets asked a lot of questions by founders and how they grow their business. So he created a GPT for founders to specifically ask him those questions. And he sourced uh, a bunch of uh, talks that he's given, some blog posts and things like that. He fed it all into the system and then essentially uh, he can share that GPT to some to anybody else on the internet, either right. publicly or internally, and they can ask questions of it just like they're talking to Sam. See, and that, right. this kind of thing is already out there, right? There are other similar apps, not OpenAI, um, that give you the opportunity to speak to the therapist AI or the journalist AI or, you know, your best friend kind of AI, like just different personas. Um, It it didn't necessarily focus on expertise, though. And I think that's one crucial thing to remember with this. Yeah, and this this basically has the benefit of the expertise that we talked about, but also say, mm-hmm. for example, if it's a if it's a company, uh, you want to give it your entire knowledge base of your customer support information, so that it's really specific to your line of business and your your profile. And the thing is, this doesn't require any coding, doesn't require any special skills. Literally, you just copy and paste into ChatGPT. Right. right. Wow, it's, it's interesting to me because, like you say. You could sell that as a product to some other similar similar business needing that kind of info or or whatever it might be if you have that available or simply ask a John Beeler chat GPT, hey, how would in future if they make a fuel that does this and it would just comb for the things that and draw the conclusion, the logic that what you would say, what your stance would be on it almost even. To a degree, for sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. I haven't had a chance to test this yet because it's still not quite rolled out. Um, but it's wow. really intriguing. And in a lot of ways, this becomes that that extra helpline, if you will, that, uh, you know, and a lot of people are using ChatGPT by itself that way. But this right. is such a mm-hmm. much more targeted and specific thing. And the fact that it's compartmentalized into your uh, set of knowledge skills. So you're basically training and training it with all of your cumulative knowledge that you have that you can share digitally with uh, OpenAI to then package it as a as a standalone mm-hmm. chat, if yeah. you will. But and life much experience too. More, I'm sorry? Life experience too, based on what your education, what you've written and put out there, what you've made public. Yeah. Or what you haven't wow. made public. This is one way to keep yeah. it sort of behind yeah. the paywall. Right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to streamline it this way because I think a lot of our time now is spent asking follow-up questions or trying to curtail the kinds of responses we want from AI. So this would actually just eliminate a lot of that follow-up, follow-up, follow-up until we get it to where we're having that conversation where it can like respond in the ways that we want it to. Absolutely. And and I think what this does is that, especially for very specific types of uh, businesses or lines of questioning, if you yes. will, um, it's going to just simplify things because it's going to have the knowledge of all the little nuances, the syntaxes, the things. Yeah. The, the problem a lot of people have when they're using Google, for example, is they don't know what the thing is called. Exactly. But if you're asking in yep. a certain context, it will know what that thing is called and it probably will even tell you what that thing is called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah. calling up your financial advisor for financial advice, right? Like that's essentially what we're doing here. The specific of it is is very going to be very interesting to see. And again, you can go the other way too. If someone's knowledge base is lo- loaded in there and they have a certain sway or whatever, it's gonna it's gonna come back that way. But that's what you're looking for in that yep. case. 
Good progression. All right, John. That's really interesting, mm -hmm. especially what you said earlier in a year. Like, wow. Um, Microsoft offers protection for politicians against deep fake. What's this all about? <laughs> Well, this is uh, Microsoft's attempt at giving politicians some peace of mind that they're not going to be deep faked, especially during the upcoming American election cycle. And one of the things that they're doing is they're basically creating a trusted uh, set of credentials, the, the content credentials watermarking system. They basically that will basically bake itself into any original video content or photo content that's created by those politicians. So that way it can be proven that this was not that politician because it doesn't have this uh, watermark that's hidden in it. It's not something obvious, like an actual little bug at the bottom. Uh, it's it's sort of hidden inside and it can be uh, shown to prove it wasn't them. Uh, the problem with this is that's great. And I'm sure all the major political campaigns won't be doing this because they've been told they're not allowed to advertise on a lot of platforms if they use this. But I think the problem is, is that all of their um, supporters and campaigners are still going to use deep fakes to sort of get the message out through non-traditional methods, uh, social mm -hmm. media uh, and other ways like that. And they're not going to be able to control that. No one's going to care if there's got a watermark in it or not, because it's going to be a low quality video on YouTube or some other place. And um, so this is a nice idea, but this also sp speaks to the fact that maybe they don't quite understand how this is being utilized uh, fully because proving that, you know, Joe Biden said something or didn't say something only matters if it's a bombshell type thing that's been said right. on CNN or somewhere else. Uh, where those grassroots campaigns are going to happen is not on the major television networks. It's going to be in the trenches in social media and other places like that where they're going to be in an echo chamber anyways, and all this disinformation is going to continue to be spread without having any kind of oversight, uh, especially from companies like Meta and other places that have already banned this kind of uh, talk, but mm. it's whack-a-mole. It's constantly hitting yep. and closing down new accounts that are springing up to spread this disinformation. Is it a, an attempt to say we're doing something knowing fully well we cannot stop it on the yeah. level of like you're talking about where it really needs to be stopped because unfortunately we're the most impressionable who will buy it and believe it are right out there on social media and say, well, if it happens out here, it's got to be true. I, I think that's exactly it. I mean, I think they're doing whatever they can, and this will definitely stop the big players maybe from trying this, although I'm sure they're still going to do it through their side channels sure. and every possible place because uh, they're looking for any type of an advantage and to any any additional voters they can they can um, procure, they'll use whatever means necessary, as we've seen in the previous election cycles uh, in the world of deep fakes that we live in now. I mean, Lawsuits we know that there's a market for it, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. one thing that you've mentioned, John, in the past. Just like there's viruses and there's an antivirus programming. Like, there's going to be this kind of thing popping up all over the place now for dealing Comfort. with the... And dealing with the negatives of the newer stuff that's coming out, like deepfakes and uh, impersonations and this and that. I just... I just can't necessarily take it seriously because I don't know how you're going to get one step ahead of this stuff. Well, because general public will believe you to a certain extent or it doesn't care enough. Mm. It, it, by the time it may, by the time it's verified, it's too late. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. it's already there. It's our mindset, I think, and our attitudes that have to shift around this stuff and not like we need to get ahead of it because I really think it's impossible. Uh, you want to talk about Google next before we go? So Google is turning to regulators to make Apple open up iMessage. Are they uh, struggling to find an iMessage alternative? No, they want Apple to open up iMessage so that Google can use it and so people on other platforms can interact with iMessage users. Mm. And Apple has been saying that it's not possible or they don't want to do it. So now they've, uh, and Google's because done a why? lot of sort of- I'm just curious about why Apple stands that way. Is it because of end-to-end -end or it's not clear? I, I think it's to- it's a competitive advantage. Okay, yeah. It's not unlike BlackBerry Messenger. Right. You know? Right. Keep it in our ecosystem. Interact. Yeah. Yeah. They they want to have that ecosystem. They want to force you to buy an iPhone. Um, so what Google has been doing over the last few months, maybe even longer, has been basically touting this uh, this SMS-based system that does essentially the same thing, uh, and but it makes it so that you wouldn't basically need WhatsApp anymore because you'd be able to get and send and receive iMessages on uh, an Android device, for yeah, example. Yeah, and everything, yeah. Yeah, but the the thing is Apple has been, you know, very adamant about this and for lots of reasons, mostly probably to keep that ecosystem. And so now they've escalated things in the European Union, which seems to be very successful at getting Apple to change its mind and make it do things like getting rid of the lightning connector, getting rid of the packaging and some of the, the various... Yeah, uh, true. But this seems... This seems like a product problem, right? Like, is this really a rights issue? You know, it's not rights, but like universal design for charging ports or whatever feels like a very different challenge than uh, Apple just basically saying, no, iMessage is ours. This is ours. You guys figure yeah. out your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this all comes down to the sort of the, the anti-competition uh, and competitive nature of these businesses and how, how they force users to use a system that can only be done on one platform to guarantee that you're going to buy that platform if that's an important thing for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people will generally go where their friends are. And if all their friends yep. are on Apple and they're not, eventually they might come around because they're going to be exposed to it. Um, if you could interoperate and it wouldn't matter, like, you know, the Mac and PC world used to be like that, but now yeah. it's pretty pretty level now you yeah. can run pretty much every app on either platform um there's very few you know niche products that only work on one or the other um but for the most part the average person doesn't matter what kind of computer they have they'll have the same or similar experience um but with this uh with this google thing they're just really pushing to get access to this so that i think google's problem is that they're 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 actually noticing a a, a drain of people going to apple oh yeah i bet they are mm -hmm, for sure for and sure. they've yeah, tried, they right? They've tried to make yep. alternatives to iMessages or, I don't know, just all kinds of things I hear, even like third-party ways to get iMessages on your PC and all this kind of stuff yeah. that's not necessarily just Google. And fail or like it's just not living up to being an iMessage native user. So you can yeah. understand. Well, and that's but that was the reality for the longest time. We heard there was going to be some bridging and yeah. you know, it has. it's not happened. It doesn't. Try and try it again. seems like Apple wants to do it. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you You're next welcome. week. Sounds good. John Wheeler joining us on Fridays for our weekly app update. We step aside for a couple of moments. The American Ballet Theater has uh, is going to be returning to China after a decade as U.S.-China ties show signs of improving. Bill Shackleton, he'll tell us more on The Buzz after this. 
Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.